Reaction. 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 By Home Things. Nice. Gold dust. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Reaction by Home Things. Today I'm joined by Freya and Alex, who are the co-founders of new underwear brand Alexander Clementine. We catch up virtually via Zoom and I hope you enjoy the chat. So I'll start by saying welcome, Ovs. And something that we do at the start of this podcast, and I don't know how well prepared you are for this, is we do a bonkers fact. So we like do a bit of a trade-off. You tell me something bonkers can be about anything. I'll give you one so back. Fun. I'm going to warn you now. My one is quite <laughs> shocking. It's a little bit graphic. But it's oh, quite really? shocking. So I'll let you go first. I'll let you take the floor first for your bonkers fact. I personally think ours is really good, but I don't know if you might think it's a bit weird. But ours is, if you're not looking, you can't feel it if someone licks your elbow. What? <laughs> Did you not know that? Oh, that's made my day. I thought you might know it. And I was like, oh, she's not going to be blown away by that. It's crazy. Isn't that not wild? I'm totally blown away. It's totally wild. And also, I'm trying to now imagine the sensation of my elbow if I was not looking. If someone, I mean, I don't know who would it. dare lick it, but what on earth? It might have happened to you previously, but you'd have no idea. <laughs> Someone's going to be doing it right now, and I just have no idea. Yeah. There's people on the floor licking my elbow. I suppose if you have a, a pet, maybe that's more of a likely scenario to happen, but pets well, have such, like, sandy little tongues. I feel like you'd feel that, no? No, you, you wouldn't. I used to do it, honestly, all the time. When we went to university, one of my best friends at uni told me this fact. And we used to run around the little like university student clubs just licking random people's elbows and they just wouldn't <laughs> feel it and we thought it was the most hysterical thing in the entire world honestly try it it's so funny i wouldn't recommend doing it right now though it's probably not the best. i was gonna yeah. say probably get arrested in the in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> licking people's arms but you know that's one to save but for a rainy day it. <laughs> it was Maybe in a year. okay well, that's that's quite good i wonder if you'll know my one there because you're obviously way more educated in the bonkers facts than I was hoping you might be. Mine is that, it's on my phone, is that female red kangaroos have three vaginas. Oh my God. Three. Three. Yeah. How does that work logistically? Surely that's not necessary. I mean, <laughs> who knows? I don't know what they, what their preferences are, what they get up to. The requirements of each, I have no idea. I'm going to need to do some further digging. I literally, I had one that was not quite so shocking. I'll tell you that one as well, actually. And I thought it was a bit lame. So I was like, yeah, oh, I love find it. another one. Uh, did you know <laughs> that, and I don't mathematically know how this is possible, but I've researched it. Apparently it is that one 18 inch pizza is more pizza than two 12 inch mm -hmm. pizzas. Yeah, I found that out the other day. And that is wild. How crazy is that? How does that I make think sense? that's so crazy. It doesn't make sense because if there's two of you, surely share two medium pizzas, not one large pizza. I don't get it, but it's literally pie, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, you know, I think that's something to bear in mind next time you're ordering a Domino's. Like, no, we will share one, honey, and you will still yeah. get more pizza than if we have one each. So worth knowing. Domino's is expensive as well. Yeah. It's... So it's, it's also saving money. I yeah, think. nice. <laughs> <laughs> saving money and dough okay perfect well for <laughs> those who don't know because this is obviously audio and not visual i am joined with the two co-founders of alexander clementine and i have alex and freya so hi both thanks so much for Hello. 
virtually sitting down with me, kind of bedroom to bedroom, as it looks like we're both are, which is always fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite an intimate scenario. So I guess let's start this off still a black style. So what's your name? Where do you come from? Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Freya, and I'm obviously one of the co-founders of Alexander Clementine. I'm from London. I've always been from London. I'm one of those ones. <laughs> and yeah, we make underwear from seaweed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm Alex, I'm the other co-founder, and I'm from Yorkshire, actually, but I live full-time in London. Um, so yeah, that's that's about it, really, isn't it? It's all our life. Our life revolves around underwear. seaweed underwear. Yeah. So, okay, so let's, you know what, let's just get straight in talking about seaweed underwear. <laughs> so it's obviously, like, a bit of a revolutionary brand. It's a revolutionary concept to many people, myself included, when I was reading up about this. I guess, can you tell me what inspired you to make underwear out of seaweed? You know, was it uh, something you thought about doing in tandem? Was it like, oh, let's make underwear, let's do it from seaweed? Or did it come from one from the other? So did you start with underwear and then thought, let's do it with seaweed? Or did you start with seaweed and decide to do underwear? But tell me about the, mm. the thought process of, of getting that off the ground. Well, it started about two years ago. We have both of us have kind of always been into fashion and kind of passionate, always wanted to start our own brand. So about two years ago, we set out to make um, leather alternative jackets from ocean plastic. And that was kind of like the dream, the goal. We both loved leather jackets. It was just what we wanted to do. But it just, obviously things happened. The overheads were just so high. The supply was in China, so we couldn't really like make sure it was all regulated and great. And the air miles just were racking up. So we just were like, no, let's scale this down, find something a bit more essential that isn't necessarily going to cost the world to make, to develop and whatever. Yeah, so we were looking for, well, we were looking for um, sort of leather alternatives when we came across seaweed in the deep, deepest, darkest parts of the world, <laughs> really. Um, and we, we found it and we were like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and then we thought, you know what, it's got some really amazing properties, which we'll talk about later, but um, we found it and we thought this would be amazing for underwear. And we thought that, that underwear is quite often, it's quite often an overlooked area of fashion in terms of sustainability, but it is something that you probably wear the most. It's, you know, it's the first thing you put on in the morning, the last thing you take <laughs> off at night. Um, so it's something that really should be sustainable. Um, and the majority of alternatives out there are made from, from cotton, which uses huge amounts of water. Um, it's not got great environmental credentials. Um, and seaweed actually uses 97% less water to make than cotton, which is great. Um, cotton, in fact, I've got a little fact here that I've written down that a t-shirt <laughs> uses 3000 liters of water to make a cotton t-shirt. Which just is crazy, one. no? Just, just one, one yeah. yeah. So that is shocking. It's it's a shock. <laughs> so it's a shock. Yeah, so that, that's how we came. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we came across it. Yeah. That's so exciting. So okay, so then I guess kind of following that story onwards, like why seaweed? Obviously, okay, apart from the water thing, and it's something that you came across, but. Was there anything else, I guess, outside of that that drew you to the material? Was it that you just stumbled across it, did your research, and it seems like a really good idea? Or was there something else in the back of your mind that thought, actually, this is probably a better choice, and you, you actively pursued that? 
Yeah. So it's, it's, it's actually got some amazing properties. Naturally, seaweed has vitamin A, C, E, B12, as well as iron and iodine. And it's also naturally antibacterial and anti-odor. So it's got some, some amazing properties that are perfect for those sort of sensitive skin areas. Um, so that, that's sort of what really drew us mm -hmm. towards seaweed. It's, it's, it's not just, uh, just a fabric. It's also sort of uh, quasi-medicinal. So it's got medicinal properties. And that's crazy to think, like, the future of fashion, medicinal clothing, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> um, there is actually a few other companies that use, use seaweed, but quite often it's blended with cotton. Uh, and we didn't want to do that. We wanted to go the full way. So what we do is we actually we actually blend our seaweed with tensile, which is wood pulp. So ours is a fully sustainable fabric uh, through and through, and it's got these amazing properties. So that's what really drew us to do, to use seaweed. It wasn't just yeah. that it was a sustainable fabric. It was that it's actually got amazing properties. Yeah, and we got the samples through. We were like, oh yeah, it's seaweed. What, like, how soft can it really be? And when we got the samples through in the post, we literally were like, surely this is not made from like wood pulp and seaweed this is so soft yeah and as soon as we got the samples we were like we have to do this there's nothing else i want to do mm. other than like make underwear from this fabric i would just like to make sure <laughs> it's clear that it's not edible we get a lot of <laughs> that. It's, it's not edible and it doesn't smell like fish <laughs> so, yeah, questions that people ask all the time and it's not edible and it doesn't smell oh sounds a bit fishy to me yeah. it's like everyone's favorite comeback and I'm just like, yeah, haha, it doesn't smell like fish. It literally looks like cotton, just soft. Oh my gosh, that must be so annoying after like the first one comment, like, hi, yeah, I heard that before. Also, not that funny, but let's move on. Also, <laughs> I, I feel like that's that's a totally different market or demographic you could move into. Like, is it edible? Yeah. No. Yeah. Does it smell like fish? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this would be so weird. It's not even on brand, is it? Like, no. It's, it would get that all the so time. Bizarre. I bet and I guess what's what's kind of interesting is you're right I guess in your head you would think like oh seaweed wood pulp like they don't sound like the softest things that you'd want to be mm. putting in your skin especially something that's quite tight fitting like underwear so it's amazing that these two substances I guess can kind of blend together and create this unique material I guess that is you know yeah. above and beyond exactly what you would want and kind of dispels not the myths, I don't think anyone's writing myths about seaweed underwear, but like the expectations, you know, it, it goes above and beyond, which I think is always what's yeah. really important when people are doing something new, you know, you don't want it to, you don't want it to have it as a great idea. And then, you know, the customer experience be subpar of that because then people are like, eh, yeah. like I'd, I'd love to make the sustainable swap, but I just can't because it's so itchy. You know, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, 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 and we were so shocked at how soft it is. Yeah, and all our feedback has been like, I can't believe this is made from seaweed. They kind of imagine it to feel kind of more bikini-y, because obviously like seaweed you're only really exposed to in like sushi, or like that type of vibe. So people kind of expect it to be a bit like rubbery, I assume. And yeah. then they get it, they're like, what? No, and I'm like, yeah. yes, yes it is. <laughs> yes, this is your seaweed bra. I love that. So, and I've had a look at uh, <laughs> the website and they, I mean, the one set that you do at the moment is like, very nice and it's very stylish and something that you write about on your website is you know that style and sustainability is at the heart of everything you do and from your experience and your journey thus far you know how easy is it for those things to live together so I think often we've kind of just touched on it with people maybe thinking that it would be scratchy or like smell funny or you might eat yeah. it but 
in your experience <laughs> from I guess maybe two years ago when you're like this is definitely what we want to do let's research it how hard is it for style and sustainability to be paired I think so often we are misled to think that you can only have one or the other and maybe that was the case you know 10 years ago 20 years ago there's a classic isn't it yeah. in fashion you're saying oh it's a sustainable brand you know I don't want to wear like a hemp sack or just like linen trousers yeah. you know and people who are like inherently think of themselves as stylish and fashionable don't necessarily think that they can move over to sustainability and vice versa there's people who probably prioritize sustainability much more than style so we're really yeah. interested to know your both experiences either personally and professionally on how those two kind of live yeah. together um yeah I think you're kind of getting to what we thought was the problem there is like a big stigma around sustainable fashion being like hemp and like just not very fashionable and just like a lot of hippies and but sustainable fashion is really cool and a lot of brands out there are sustainable and super cool at the same time but I really struggled when I started getting into sustainable fashion finding sort of a brand that spoke to me like a lot of the brands out there I felt sort of didn't have me as their audience they had like vegans environmentalists and they kind of gave me like a guilt complex like am I good enough to buy this brand like am I do I care about the planet enough to buy this brand you know am I good enough and I found that a lot of them kind of they didn't have their aesthetic as being stylish they had it as they they compromised their style and their aesthetic and kind of made it all about the sustainable credentials rather than like, this is actually really cool, you'll look really cool in this. So when we started a brand, we kind of wanted the first and foremost thing to be like, this is a really cool bra, wow, I really like that. Oh, wow, an added bonus, it's sustainable. We never wanted to lead with like, we're a sustainable underwear company. We wanted to be an underwear company. Oh, wow, added bonus, this uses 97% less water than cotton. I'm doing really good stuff for the planet. And you kind of get that good, warm feeling inside, don't you? It's like when you yeah. donate money to a charity, it's kind of like oh I'm doing something good for the planet whilst looking super cute like we didn't want to yeah I think it alienates people if we market mm. it as like vegan friendly and stuff because if people aren't vegans and you know etc then yeah. they feel like they can't buy it because you know we've we've done the marketing as vegan friendly we just wanted people to see it for them to think it looks amazing looks great could see themselves in it and then the fact that it's all sustainable is just an added bonus and I think a lot of companies do compromise on 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 aesthetic for sustainability. Um, it seems to be either one of the, one or the other, and you can do both. It's, mm. You know, you can do both. So, yeah, exactly. And I think it's giving people that that easy choice, isn't it? Because you're right, people can do both. And also, I think there's such a and it, it, I think it's easing up a little bit now. But there's such a stigma of sustainable brands or eco-friendly companies of being overly virtuous and way too preachy and kind of yeah. everything that you're doing is wrong if you're not buying from us or if you're not doing this and you know I think for a lot of people that can be a real turn off especially if people you know are trying to make little baby Definitely. steps to think about their own consumer habits you know if you're then faced with a brand who fundamentally makes you feel bad for not engaging mm. or not knowing all that's going to do is yeah. is that kind of put you off a little bit so I think you're right I think it's nice to almost softly softly approach it like you know I think realistically mm. what the future should be of many brands and this is coming from a personal opinion is that they're great brands that of course are sustainable like it shouldn't be a one or the other yeah. it doesn't even need to be a conscious choice because realistically for us to live in a you know for, to have any 
hope for the world going forward all brands should be and you know hopefully can be sustainable so you just make a choice mm -hmm. based on what serves you and then you know you don't need to be like oh but is it vegan and is it this and is it that because you know hopefully <laughs> they will just naturally fall into those categories anyway so yeah i think it's a really interesting yeah. approach that you've decided to not be i guess overly virtuous and maybe overly kind of eco-anxiety fueling because there are definitely people yeah, out there that do that yeah, yeah, we didn't want to make people feel feel uncomfortable. We just wanted them to get it because it looks great, and and you know, it's just everyone should be sustainable. Everyone, every fashion company should be trying trying to be sustainable, and it shouldn't be something that you have to think about. It should just be something that you buy because you like it, and you know, it should be granted that it's sustainable. Yeah, anyway. for sure. So, we wanted to to make that happen. Absolutely. And I think thinking about like fashion and sustainable fashion and the supply chains and, you know, the thing that came from fashion revolution with the who made my clothes movement and all these things that have got mm -hmm. so much attention in social media over the last, God, however many years, I'm not keeping track, but as, as individuals <laughs> and as like, you know, now co-founders and business owners, I guess you guys are, are suddenly in this position where you are totally in control of, you know, who who genuinely is making your clothes or your underwear in this circumstance so how important or how easy were those decisions for you guys and how in control do you feel of being able to pick those supply chains in terms of you know environmental resources in terms of like humanitarian resources has that been an easier journey for you has it been kind of slightly more complicated than you imagined what's been your experience uh, I mean, to us, it's been hugely important that we that we got it right. I mean, it is difficult, and you do have to make compromises. Um, it, quite often, it's more expensive yeah. doing the making a better decision is is more expensive. Um, but we we really didn't want to compromise, so we found our supplier, um, and they're in our suppliers in Europe. Um, they're at the forefront of sustainable technology, so they're really amazing. Um, their their whole sort of production is is powered by solar panels on the roof. They um, recycle ninety eight percent of their waste, um, and they're working on recycling one hundred percent of their their waste uh, in the in the coming years. It was really important for us as well for our suppliers to be not a million miles away. We didn't want our suppliers to be in China yeah. or. Or anything like that. We did. We didn't <clears> want to rack up sort of air miles and stuff flying our fabrics like halfway across the world. So it was really important for us that it was close by. So as we say, our suppliers in in Europe, we choose to to drive our fabric instead of flying it because it produces less CO two emissions. Uh, it takes a lot longer again, but these are compromises that you've got to make if you want to be yeah. sustainable. And then for us, there was we definitely didn't want to compromise on where we were getting it made. We wanted it to be in the UK, and our manufacturers, in fact, in London, um, and that was hugely important to us. We wanted it to be somewhere that we could go visit. Yeah, we could go check it out ourselves. You know, we could go pop down, and, and we can. You know, we just text our factory and we say, "Oh, can we come down?" They're like, "Yeah, sure." We know everyone that works there. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's really amazing that we can do that. And that was something that we definitely didn't want to compromise on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's hugely important, to be honest. But 100%. it does come at a cost, you know. So, but you've just got to make those, those compromises. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think they are hopefully worthwhile compromises. Like you said, nothing is, is weird. No, no 
good decision is ever an easy decision I think realistically but it's it's about yeah. having that want and that desire and I think for a lot of small especially startup sustainable brands they want to make those decisions it often is at the a, a cost to people because you know there's there's different kind of resources you know it would be cheaper to do it unsustainably but you know I think for small businesses often they absolve the cost or, or maybe have to add it onto their product at the end but I think you know ultimately mm. these are the kind of the decisions that people are <coughs> looking for and that kind of transparency and hopefully ultimately respect you for doing that as well and think you know what yes, <laughs> it is worth it it's worth the extra however many so correct me if I'm wrong but a little bit of Instagram stalking saw that <laughs> you, did you launch during the kind of the coronavirus pandemic was it the beginning of March yeah <laughs> Perfect. yeah we what a time. It was <laughs> chaos absolute chaos it was the start of may wasn't it yeah literally our fact our production was meant to start the exact same day that boris announced lockdown so it was honestly tears crying calling out the factory like what can we do what can we do they were like we've got two hours to get everything out of the factory we're going to give it to one of the machinists and she's going to do it all from home yeah. and we were like oh my god thank you so much yeah which was great because it meant she didn't have to be furloughed and she could still continue to work um from home which was really great and she she churned out the full production uh in about wow. two weeks yeah I think, two weeks. which was amazing so we were very stressed but but yeah it worked out okay actually really yeah eventually thank god <laughs> That's so good. I mean, you're so lucky, I think, to have been able to adapt. And I guess the the advantage of being so small is you can be a little bit more nimble and a little bit more flexible in kind of the ways that you work and how you adapt. Mm. From I think what I've seen a lot happening is during the coronavirus pandemic, obviously, all sorts of things have happened and there's been all sorts of businesses kind of launching or thriving or, or not, as the case may be. What do you think... Um, is your opinion, I suppose, on sustainable businesses in in the whole, in terms of whether coronavirus has helped them, has hindered them? Because I suppose on the one hand, like you said, there's been a, a ton of logistical challenges, especially for sustainable yeah. businesses who are maybe trying to do things a bit different. But I suppose on the other hand, you know, the consumer habits have changed hugely over the last couple of months. And I think whether they stay in a long-term habits, tbc yeah. seeing the queues that were outside primark on the first day no <laughs> yeah. opinion here but yeah so we were quite excited when obviously a bit of a silver lining of coronavirus that people had less money and obviously all the forecasts all the economists were coming out being like people are going to start buying more consciously and it'll be really great and then obviously the non-essential shops opened and people were camping outside primark and we were like yeah. oh so nothing's changed really, have they? And obviously a lot of my friends have been doing a lot of fast fashion orders. A lot of fast fashion companies have been doing like work from home fashion, really like monetizing on, pandemic, on the yeah. pandemic, which isn't that great. But I think it's just all about education. And I think during this pandemic, it's really helped to sort of expose fast fashion. And there's a lot of press at the moment about how a lot of large retailers, a lot of fast fashion billionaires aren't paying their garment workers who've fulfilled their orders they've made the clothes I think it's something like I've written it down 2.4 billion pounds worth of orders just aren't being fulfilled in Bangladesh and it's affecting over 4 million garment workers who've literally just lost everything overnight because big brands just aren't paying up and I think it's just about educating yourself like do you want to give your money to these fast fashion CEOs who are literally having the best time on a super yacht 
somewhere lapping up the sun while people who are making your clothes are having the worst time ever mm. you know did you know i re- actually read an interesting fact that a fashion ceo earned in four days what a bangladeshi garment worker earns in their lifetime which is i did not know that but that's shocking that's a terrible awesome. fact but it's true and <laughs> yeah there's so many clothes that have already been made that they're not getting paid for so it's just terrible but i mean i think there has been like there's been some positive aspects i think there's a lot more attention up for grabs on social media maybe people are sort of educating themselves a little bit yeah. um i mean it's been it's been good for us in, in that sort of sense that there is a lot more attention um but but yeah that's it i think there's definitely like pluses people have left money so they're probably gonna go towards buying the cheaper option but then people also have more time so they can educate themselves on maybe a pair of a five pair pack of pants that cost five pounds there's a reason it costs five pounds and that's because someone along the supply chain is paying for it and maybe ours might be five times the price but we know factually who's making it every step of the way and that no one's missing out. And we don't make a huge profit on our underwear. We definitely wanted to keep it as accessible as possible because like, sale fashion is expensive. Yeah. And it's just because you're paying people fairly and that shouldn't be a hard thing to do, just pay people fairly and buy fairly. Absolutely. I think it's about habits. And like you said, a lot of it always comes down to uh, a knowledge and an awareness piece because it's like you said people are so used to now being able to buy like set a five pack of pants for five pounds and so they just assume yeah. that that's what pants cost when actually the reality of it if you you know go down the track and you even just like the bare minimum pay everybody fairly or at least pay everyone you know god forbid the minimum wage you would realize yeah. that actually you can't create five pairs of pants for five pounds so like you said i think it's about realizing that in order to get clothes super cheap more often than not is because there is someone along that line and these lines can be so long and so disconnected from the end result that you don't realize that actually somewhere there is someone who is who is really missing out and like you said who is actually paying I guess paying the price absorbing the price of what maybe stuff should be should be costing so like you said I think it's an interesting time to having those conversations and kind of be trying to raise awareness you know like for you guys for example you're not saying our pants are five times more expensive because i want to buy a house in west london but actually like actually you know (laughs) we're making quite a small profit (laughs) doesn't everybody darling doesn't everybody (laughs) well um this is kind of a little bit off topic but just something i'm intrigued about from you guys since you've launched and i i appreciate it's still super baby steps and early days from you but i guess who have you seen kind of coming coming like to the brand and finding you are they people I mean a lot of them will probably be people who you know or maybe you've heard from friends of friends but have you seen a certain type of person or a certain interested type of person coming to your page and and expressing a real desire for what you guys are doing or how's that been for the last couple of weeks um yeah I think certainly the younger generation definitely I mean most of our audience is probably between about 14 and about 35 30 35 so it's definitely the younger generation we've noticed a lot of a lot of people like that and again a lot of people have come across us because they they like what they see and they don't even realize that it's made from from a sustainable 
yeah. fabric. They just they like the style, which which has been great for us. For sure. But but yeah, it's it's certainly the the sort of younger generation, which yeah, is, which is great because it is. Everyone says Gen Z going to change the world, and they really are. They, we honestly have I think about fifty message requests at the moment, and they're all from about most majority of them about sixteen. We were just like, I love your band, mm-hmm. and just sending us nice messages, which is really lovely. Yeah, it's been really great. Actually, yeah. yeah, that is nice. That's what you want. You want some some true like grassroots fans who actually genuinely believe yeah. in what you're doing, especially at such an early stage for you guys. I think that's really kind of positive, yeah. and I guess a nice surprise to know that people are looking for these kind of things and are really engaging. Is that something? Have there been any things during? like lockdown and coronavirus and COVID and however many different ways you can name a pandemic, but has there been anything <laughs> that you as a team and as co-founders have been surprised about? Obviously, I guess launching during this time was not ideal and was probably a little bit of a shocker, <laughs> but have there been things, I guess both positive and negative that actually you've been really surprised by? I guess a good example would be how nimble um, your machinist was, for example, to be able to kind of work remotely and from home and not need to be in the factory but had there been any other things along the way where you're like no this is fantastic or I guess vice versa thinking hmm the nicest surprise yeah I don't know it's been been a bit of a roller coaster I feel like every day is different someday we'll get a load of orders and I'll be like what pandemic haha let's go to the post office and people are buying stuff and then another day we'll get a negative message on our Instagram just about most of all it's the um the fit and the size but that's just because we're a new company we don't have a huge budget to make loads of sizes we obviously want to want to be inclusive everything isn't isn't along that vein but I don't know I don't know if there's anything that's like really blown me away other than just how people are buying stuff really (laughs) I mean the flexibility of our uh, machinist has been great and 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 everyone that's sort of involved has been really amazing um but yeah I don't know. It's been tough. I think, I think people are a bit unsure at the minute with their sort of. A lot of people have been furloughed, etc. So, I think there is a, an uncertainty with people's sort of jobs. Um, so I think some people may be a bit reluctant to buy um, because of that, which is completely fair. Yeah, obviously. Um, so there has been that aspect, but I myself have a job to sort of to cover the sort of expenses and stuff and and I've been furloughed as well so it's given us an amazing opportunity to both sort of entirely focus on the brand these past three months which has been which has been really great so that's been something that's been definitely been really positive um but yeah there is still that uncertainty people don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen um so yeah for us it's a bit of a blessing in disguise that you've been furloughed because previously we've only been able to work together side by side like one two days a week mm. but because of you being furloughed you've come to my family home and moved in with me <laughs> and my dogs and we've just um been able to work like 24 hours a day which yeah. is pretty well, much 24 hours yeah <laughs> 24 hours you work Love so it. hard <laughs> we definitely don't sunbathe when it's sunny and leave our laptops inside no we work definitely haven't seen the evidence of the sunburn <laughs> so what what do you think is going to happen next for you guys like thinking about the bigger picture the next year the next five years or anything like that have you have you already had these kind of big conversations or dreams about what you'd want to do next like is it just expanding the range is it looking at new materials how how do you see that that dream kind of long term for you guys 
Yeah. So we, we talk about it all the time, really, don't we? We've, we've just actually <laughs> ordered four more colours. Um, so nice. they're on their, on their way. So I think to begin with, we want to expand the, the underwear. Um, but we have spoke about expanding into other things. I mean, the end goal is we want a, a sort of an entirely sustainable brand that we do everything, basically. Um, we've actually looked into coconut denim. That's something that we want to do. Um, nice. which is really amazing yeah, um, cool. and we're talking to a supplier yeah. about that um, which is really great it uses it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing it's, it's really <laughs> amazing um, so we're looking into that um, but yeah we're, right now we're just focusing on the underwear we we don't want to we don't want to encourage overconsumption. so we're just yeah. for now we're doing sort of a drop a month really yeah. uh, and different styles and, and building on that and then as we start start getting sort of more well known then that's when we'll start looking at expanding into to different different clothes and, yeah. and but denim is definitely something that we want to do and we want to find an alternative and coconut looks like the best yeah, coconut's pretty cool it's pretty cool <laughs> So yeah. it's so exciting because denim I mean I don't know huge and huge amounts of denim but I used to work um in another life and we worked with Wrangler briefly <laughs> and the amount of water that's needed to go into oh, creating huge. a pair of jeans is absolutely mind-blowing and there's there's companies now you know big denim companies who are having to adapt and find more sustainable ways to produce the denim but I think ultimately yeah. it's it's still such a shocking thing which most people don't I was not even aware of that I'm not really like a a jean yeah. wearing person all the time yeah. jeans are such a staple yeah. of most people's wardrobes and are such a sure. basic item if you can find a genuinely more sustainable alternative that's not just like oh we're using a little bit less water it's actually a complete reinvention of how to make denim i think that sounds very incredible sure. it's quite exciting yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh that and we do have something coming in don't we we've just we've just uh oh the tote bags yeah so oh, we we basically overstocked on our, on our waistband for the for our first drop that's available now um and with the leftover uh waistband we've made tote bags which are currently in production that's um, very which cool. are really exciting yeah so we've used all our waste which is really great so they're actually coming very soon yeah super soon <clears throat> so, yeah. that's amazing that's so exciting i love that when you were saying tote bags i was like oh gosh more more products but being able to use, like <laughs> your surplus like your your own waste to make something else i think is hats yeah. off to you guys i think that's very very cool <laughs> thanks so much yeah no they so, are really cool i'm really sturdy which i was surprised about yeah that's incredible i love that well i look very much forward to seeing one of those on the website might have to order myself <laughs> one so finally <laughs> to wrap up so originally when we we thought we were going to do this lockdown podcast even though it's our third series, it was originally reframed as an isolation radio station. I just love a rhyme. So I was like, this is really fun. It hasn't, <laughs> it hasn't amounted into that anymore, but we have created an isolation radio station playlist on Spotify where we add all the favorite tracks from our guests and kind of compile it together. It's quite a small list so far, but it will grow. It'll be amazing. So <laughs> you, know, you can do one each, you can do a joint one. What would be the track that you would like added to it? Ooh. You do one each. Yeah, I feel I like so. we've got very different music tastes. Mine, <laughs> mine would probably be um, Matt DeMarco freaking out the neighbourhood. And I'd encourage anyone to search <laughs> the meaning behind that song because it's, it's, a, it's a very funny story. It is funny, but maybe um, don't eat before or but, do it while you're eating. But I won't say the, what it means right now. 
but it's a good tune. Um, mine would probably be Watermelon Sugar by Harry Styles. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but I love it. And it's a big tune. Honestly, the sun's out, pop it on, and honestly, it, it pops off. It absolutely <laughs> bangs, and I love it. <laughs> what a raving you review for it. Harry Styles. <laughs> it just pops it's a big off. Tune, to be fair. It just pops off, Harry. Well done. Great tune. Well, Mr. Styles, you know what? I haven't heard it, and I don't know if that says something what? about me or something about you, but yeah, I haven't heard it, so I will. <laughs> when I add it to the list, I'll let you know my review if it, if it pops off. Yeah, you have you know. to give me a review, yeah. <laughs> I will. Guys, this has been really, really interesting and insightful. Thank you so much for giving up your time on literally the hottest day of the year, I think, so far. So uh, I really, really Boiling. appreciate it. I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> ice cold showers for all after this margaritas midday margaritas yeah, go open your windows get it out there that's good day like have a drink <laughs> well thank you so much for having us yeah well. thank you so much reach yeah, out it's been really good. pleasure no thank you guys so much Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you agree that that was super insightful and really exciting for both of them. In case you missed it, we have a new playlist available on Spotify. It's called The Isolation Radio Station, where we feature all the tracks uh, suggested by our amazing guests. So go check it out. It's on Spotify, Isolation Radio Station. What a great name.